Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure, where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Hi, and welcome to Verbal Diorama. I'm Em, and I probably would have chosen the puzzle ball if I'm being completely honest. This is episode seven on The Cabin in the Woods, uh, the movie that both deconstructs and pays homage to every American horror movie. So I usually start the podcast with what I've been up to and outwardly it seems like not much. Show Me the Podcast's episode on vampires came out and I did a little feature on that and I submitted some Avengers Endgame questions for Wulong Talks for their Avengers Endgame episode. But generally, I've been pretty quiet on other shows because I've been planning future episodes of Verbal Diorama. And it turns out that the next four episodes have guests scheduled. So those episode formats will change a little to accommodate a guest. And I'll be announcing the next episode and who the guest will be at the end of this episode. So listen out for that. I'm also shortly going to be interviewed by At Flicks podcast who wanted to do a little feature on my podcast and what I do and how I do it. It's probably not going to be very long then. Um, I'm really honoured that Jeff, Neil and Graham have asked me to do that and that should be out in the next few weeks I think. Um, I've been reliably told by Jeff that Neil and Graham have never seen The Cabin in the Woods and I've also been reliably told by Andy from Geek Salad that he has not seen The Cabin in the Woods either. So whilst I'm hoping this episode can persuade them, I have mentioned to them on social media that I'd implore them and anyone who hasn't seen The Cabin in the Woods to actually see the movie before they listen. Because honestly, I'm going to spoil the shiz out of this. And like most movies, it's always best to go in without spoilers, especially with a movie that plays with as much as this does. So, as always, even though I mostly forget to say, spoilers forthcoming for what is literally one of the best and, I think, smartest horror movies of recent years. And I've always been very vocal on the fact that I really don't like horror movies. I like vampire movies and zombie movies, depending on the zombies, but I've never been one for horror, especially the sort of horror that messes with your mind, psychological horror or torture porn, that sort of thing. Saying that, there are a few that I really do like. I love Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell. 
I also love the American remake of The Ring. They're both scary, but I can deal with the scares. I also really like parodies, but that's probably only because they mostly involve poo and fart jokes. And I also want to briefly mention Daybreakers, because Cabin in the Woods unanimously won the Twitter poll against Daybreakers. And whilst they are technically are very different movies, I feel like I need to highlight what a great fun movie Daybreakers is. It was released amongst Twilight Fever in 2009 and didn't really get the recognition or coverage it deserved. It's about most of civilization being vampires and the few remaining humans are hunted for food. But with humanity dying out, the vampires have to find a suitable buzz substitute. I might come back to Daybreakers another time, but clearly the best movie won on the poll this time. So, anyway, let's delve into The Cabin in the Woods, because I have a lot to say, and I fully intend on being the final girl. Everybody ready? It doesn't even show up on the GPS. It's unworthy of global positioning. That's the whole point. Get off the grid, right? Hello? I'm thinking this thing doesn't take credit cards. Sign says closed. We're looking for, uh, what's it called? Tillerman Road. Not to get you there. Getting back. That's your concern. Oh, this is awesome. Whoa. No way. have passed to the gate. They are come to the killing floor. Get this party started! I seriously believe something weird is going on. What is that thing? We have to stay together. This isn't right. We should split up. Yeah, good idea. Really? We gotta get out of here. Somebody said those things here to get us. You're missing the point. They want to see us punished. Just a point on the trailer that I think is interesting. It was marketed as a very atypical horror movie. And I think that was obviously done on purpose. Because if horror fans knew it was actually more of a satire, they might have been less inclined to even see it. So The Cabin in the Woods was a directorial debut of Drew Goddard. Someone who you might think is a bit of an unknown. However, he's been involved with great stuff going back into the early 2000s. A lot of which with Joss Whedon and J.J. Abrams. Two names synonymous with geek culture, Whedon for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel and J.J. Abrams for Alias, Lost and Cloverfield. 
The screenplay was written by Whedon and Goddard in three days and they described it as an attempt to revitalise the slasher movie genre, which was in its heyday between 1978 and 1984, with classics such as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street. The genre started to slow with the introduction of multiple sequels in the late 80s and early 90s. It really wasn't until Wes Craven returned with Scream in 1996 that the genre received a revival and movies like I Know What You Did Last Summer were followed by Scream 2, Urban Legend and Final Destination. But by that point, the genre was once again being saturated by multiple sequels, copies and parodies like Scary Movie. Whedon commented that the movie was a loving hate letter to the genre, stating, It's serious critique of what we love and what we don't about horror movies. I love being scared. I love that mixture of thrill, of horror, that objectification, identification thing of wanting definitely for the people to be all right, but at the same time hoping they'll go somewhere dark and face something awful. The things that I don't like are kids acting like idiots, the devolution of a horror movie into torture porn, and into a long series of sadistic comeuppances. Drew and I both felt the pendulum had swung a little too far in that direction. Although the movie came out in 2012, really hot on the heels of Chris Hemsworth's star turn as Thor in the MCU, Thor is still a great movie by the way, the movie was actually filmed several years prior in 2009 in Vancouver. The movie was due to be released in 2010, but due to financial difficulties at Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and United Artists, it was shelved indefinitely. Lionsgate then came along and picked up the distribution rights, and it eventually premiered at South by Southwest on the 9th of March 2012, being widely released in the US and the UK simultaneously on the 13th of April 2012. The movie cost an estimated $30 million, and it ended up grossing over $70 million worldwide. Drew Goddard ended up writing five episodes of Buffy and five episodes of Angel. And it's something that I wanted to talk about because season seven of Buffy wasn't great, but Drew Goddard's episodes were highlights of a very unsteady final season. Buffy is easily one of my favourite TV shows of all time. And there's no such thing as really bad Buffy. Even beer bad has its merits, trust me. So his episodes of Buffy were Selfless, Conversations with Dead People, Never Leave Me, Lies My Parents Told Me and Dirty Girls. Selfless, Conversations with Dead People and Lies My Parents Told Me are easily the best episodes of season seven of Buffy. Angel-wise, season five of Angel was, for me, the best season of Angel and he wrote or co-wrote some of my favourite ever episodes of Angel in that season. He did Lineage, Damage, Why We Fight, Origin and The Girl in Question. And I just wanted to mention those, as any Buffy and Angel fans out there might appreciate knowing that. So, back to The Cabin in the Woods. The movie stars Kristen Connolly as Dana, Chris Hemsworth as Kurt, Anna Hutchison as Jules, Fran Kranz as Marty, Jesse Williams as Holden, Richard Jenkins as Citizen, and Bradley Whitford as Hadley. Alongside Buffy and Angel cast members, Amy Acker as Lynn, and Tom Lenk as Ronald the Intern. Chris Hemsworth, up to until this point of filming, wasn't yet Thor, but he had appeared in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek in 2009 as Kirk's father. Thor would be released in 2011 and his star would rise dramatically, with Cabin in the Woods being released just before The Avengers and Snow White and the Huntsman, both of which in 2012. Fran Kranz was obviously most well-known as Topher in Whedon's sci-fi show Dollhouse, which also starred Amy Acker in a small role. 
Speaking of Fran Kranz, you'll notice that he never once removes his clothes, not even in the lake scene. This was because he was just as ripped as Chris Hemsworth at the time and they felt that by showing his body, it would go against the stoner fool character. He actually purposefully wears several layers of clothing to mask his muscular physique throughout the movie. Whedon has a habit of including alumni cast in his projects. Drew Goddard also wrote Cloverfield. He rewrote the third part of World War Z, which is probably why the tone of the movie shifts so obviously. He also wrote the excellent uh, The Martian and he did uncredited work on Deadpool 2. He also wrote, created and executively produced Daredevil, which is easily the best of the Netflix Marvel collaborations and is still so, so sorely missed. Anyway, one final warning because what I'm going to talk about will not only spoil this movie, but also spoil the whole experience of watching the movie. So, and once again, and I don't usually do this, I highly recommend anyone who's not seen Cabin in the Woods to switch off, watch the movie, and come back to this point. For those still here, let's quickly go through the plot of the movie. In a high-tech underground facility, controllers Citizen and Hadley discuss plans for a mysterious operation A similar operation undertaken by their counterparts in Stockholm has just ended in failure. American college students Dana, Holden, Marty, Jules and Kurt are spending their weekend at a seemingly deserted cabin in the forest. From their control room, Citizen and Hadley manipulate the students by intoxicating them with mind-altering drugs that hinder rational thinking and increase libido. They take bets from co-workers as to what kind of monster will attack the students and discuss the failures of similar rights in other nations. In the cabin's cellar, the group find many bizarre objects, including the diary of Patience Buckner, a cabin resident abused by her sadistic family. Dana recites incantations from the journal, inadvertently summoning the zombified Buckner family, despite Marty's warnings. By releasing pheromones, Hadley successfully induces Kurt and Jules to have sex. Attacked by the marauding Buckner zombies, Jules is decapitated while Kurt escapes to alert the group. Marty, a frequent marijuana smoker, discovers concealed surveillance equipment before being dragged off by one of the Buckners. Later, the facility workers learn that the right in Japan has also ended in failure, meaning that the American right is humanity's last hope. Kurt, Holden and Dana attempt to escape in their RV, but Citizen triggers a tunnel collapse to block them. Kurt jumps a ravine on his motorcycle in an attempt to flee and alert the authorities, only to crash into a force field, killing him. Holden and Dana retreat to the RV to plan their next move, but one of the Buckners, hiding within all along, fatally stabs Holden as they're driving away, resulting in the RV crashing and sinking into a lake. Dana escapes and swims ashore, and she is attacked. Citizen, Hadley and their colleagues celebrate the successful completion of the rite, viewing the events from the control room. The celebration is interrupted by a phone call pointing out that Marty has survived, making the ritual worthless. His heavy marijuana use has apparently rendered him immune to Citizen and Hadley's manipulations. Marty rescues Dana and takes her to a hidden elevator he discovered under a grave. They descend into the underground facility where a menagerie of monsters is imprisoned. Dana correlates them with the objects in the cabin's cellar and realises that those items gave victims the opportunity to choose the agents of their own deaths during the rite. Cornered by the facility's security personnel, she and Marty release the monsters, all of which wreak havoc and slaughter the staff. Hadley is killed by a merman and Citizen escapes to the lower level. Dana and Marty flee the carnage. Dana accidentally mortally wounds Citizen, who begs her to kill Marty. 
Fleeing further, they discover an ancient temple and are confronted by the Vasilis' leader, known only as the Director. She explains that they are participating in an annual ritual sacrifice to appease the Ancient Ones. Each facility's rite conforms to the rules of that region's local law. In America, young people are chosen to be sacrificed based on similarity to certain archetypes. The whore, the athlete, the scholar, the fool and the virgin. In order to complete the ritual, the whore must die first and the virgin must survive or die last. Since all other facilities have failed, the penalty for not completing the rite is the extermination of the entire human race. Hence, the director urges Dana to kill Marty. Dana considers, but she's interrupted by a werewolf attack, while zombie Patience Buckner appears and kills the director. They are both pushed over the edge and into the abyss by Marty. Deciding that humanity is not worth saving, Dana and Marty share a joint while awaiting their fate. The temple floor collapses and a giant hand emerges, destroying the facility and the cabin itself. So I'm going to talk about the ending a bit later and the theories as to what the ending means in the context of what we know from the movie about the Ancient Ones, the entities this ritual is put on for. But first, let's talk about the common horror movie tropes. The final girl trope is probably the most well-known. Your Laurie Strodes, Nancy Thompson, Sidney Prescott's, always young, always attractive, always innocent, mostly always women usually virgins the virgin thing we're going to come back to in a bit the jump scare is used to get the audience's blood pumping usually enhanced by eerie music or a sudden frightening sound you've always got some abandoned place usually in a creepy location isolated probably dilapidated um death by sex because sex is bad okay uh, ritual sacrifices, usually to appease some form of god or monster or something. And usually a trinket that's used to call the monster or monsters and the idiot who reads, plays, wears it. Basically, tropes are part and parcel of horror movies and slasher movies especially. What The Cabin in the Woods does well is it attempts to subvert the majority of those tropes. So we have the archetypal five characters you find in a horror movie. We find out that this is specific to the American market. The movie uses the tropes set specifically for each region. So, for example, the American tropes of the five college students differ to the Japanese tropes of the schoolgirls, uh, which reference uh, the ring and battle royale, especially. In this movie, we have the whore, a.k.a. Jules, Um, I wanted on record that I hate the use of the word whore and I'm only using it because the movie specifically uses it. Um, But I think it's an abhorrent slur against women and generally you'd never hear me use that word. The athlete, a.k.a. Kurt, the scholar, a.k.a. Holden, the fool, a.k.a. Marty, the virgin, a.k.a. Dana. So the rules of the North American ritual of appeasal are that the four mandatory sacrifices must be made to the Ancient Ones. So that's the whore, athlete, scholar and fool. The final role, that of the Virgin, must suffer until the very end, where the Virgin may either live or die. So the very first thing we find out about Jules and Kurt is they're in a committed relationship, and he's on academic scholarship. So from the very start, we know that Jules isn't a whore, and we know Kurt isn't just a dumb jock although they do make it clear that he plays college football, they also make it clear that he reads books and he recommends books to other people. We discover Dana has been having an affair with her college professor. 
so technically not a virgin. Holden and Marty um, are a little less obvious, as it's clear that Holden is smart, but he's also plays football. Marty turns up smoking a bong, and his subversion of the fool trope will come in later, but really it's Marty who's the only person in the cabin who isn't a fool. Once they get to the cabin, as they don't fully fulfil the tropes set out for them by the director, they are altered by the inhalation of drugs, which not only makes them suggestive to the cabin's insistence they go down into the cellar, it also gives each of them, apart from Marty, the desired traits in order to fulfil the role. So Jules starts dancing sexually, Kurt starts drinking aggressively, Holden wears glasses and starts to read. But Marty's weed inhabits the drugs from working and he actually actively discourages the rest of the characters from partaking in the typical horror movie behaviours and calls them out frequently until they all decide to play the game all teenagers play, truth or dare. Meanwhile, back in the office where the whole weird, crazy episode of reality TV this is probably where Big Brother's going to go next, is being managed, there's a sweepstake going on which monster the five will summon. So they are, in alphabetical order from the whiteboard, we have Alien Beast, Angry Molesting Tree, The Bride, Clowns, Jesus, why? Deadites, obviously based on the creatures of the same name from Evil Dead, Demons, Dismemberment Goblins, The Doctors, Dolls, Dragon Bat, Giant, Giant Snake, Hell Lord. Interestingly, he actually turns out to be called Fornicus, Lord of Bondage and Pain. And he's based on Pinhead from Hellraiser. I just thought you all might want to know that. The Huron, Jack-O-Lantern, Kevin, Merman. Steve Hadley is so obsessed with this Merman, it's hilariously ironic that he dies by Merman. Mummy, Imhotep, is that you? Mutants, the reanimated, reptilius, Sasquatch, Wendigo, Yeti, the scarecrow folk, sexy witches. Yet again, a great play on the trope that you have to have a sexy something. Snowman, sugarplum fairy, twins, unicorn, vampires, werewolf, witches, wraiths, zombie redneck torture family, who were the winners, and zombies, obviously not of the redneck and torture variety. So... When the five go into the cellar, they're enticed to use an item which will summon one of the above. And I have it on good merit that all of the above actually do have items in that cellar. Um, The movie doesn't reference them, but it does show certain things. Like, for example, there's um, a clown in a box at the back, which obviously I expect if you play it, you get the clowns, which who wants to see the scary clowns? They're literally the scariest thing. Um, But Dana picks up Patience Buckner's diary. Kurt plays with the puzzle sphere, which, as I mentioned, that would be my toy of choice. Jules picks up the necklace of a wedding dress. Holden is mesmerised by a child's jewellery box. And Marty looks at the conch shell. So it's Dana who starts reading from the diary before Kurt opens the puzzle box and Jules puts on the necklace. I mean, could she actually be the fool in this scenario? Heaven forbid. Interestingly, I mentioned the final girls earlier in the trope of the final girls, um, one of whom was Nancy Thompson, the protagonist of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Nancy was played by Heather Langenkamp. Heather Langenkamp actually worked on the prosthetics and makeup on this movie, along with her husband. She's credited as special makeup effects crew as Heather L. Anderson, which is her married name, 
under her company AFX Studio. The makeup is really good in this movie and it's really a credit to her and her company. A lot of the monsters, once they actually do get released, are CGI, but the practical effects in this movie are so great. So I mentioned earlier about the ancient ones and one of the things this movie does really well is to turn tropes on its head and essentially deconstructs all of the horror movies you know. It's a clever satire of the genre and also pays homage to the genre. Well, the other thing it does super well is trick you into thinking who the good and bad guys are. The college students in the cabin, they're the good guys, right? They're the innocents. We know they don't fall into their tropes, but an excellently cast Sigourney Weaver tells us they play fast and loose with the characters each are put into and that they essentially cheat the system to make them behave in those ways. But... What if they're not the good guys? What if the college students are the bad guys? What if Citizen, Hadley, the director, and the others in the facility are the good guys? Think about it. They're trying to prevent the apocalypse. Sure, they're sacrificing people to do it, but it's for the greater good. The greater good. (laughs) Sorry, I love that line in Hot First. The ending is interesting, and... I've read a lot of the issues people have with the movie is the revelation that Marty is still alive after all. But I have a theory on this. We find out that Marty was the virgin and Dana is the fool. That's why Marty didn't die when taken by one of the zombie redneck torture family. He couldn't die. He needed to live to the end to fulfil the prophecy. And then he can die if necessary. The director implores Dana to kill Marty because she believes he's the one who needs to die so that Dana can live. But she can't kill her friend, because she's a fool. And even if she did, Dana is the one who needs to die. The director is then killed, and instead of sacrificing Marty, they sit and share a joint together, knowing that their lives are over anyway, because then the Ancient Ones destroy the facility and rise up. Wouldn't the true good guys sacrifice themselves to save the world? But also, this movie was never going to have a happy ending. We're deconstructing those tropes, remember? And the ancient ones? That's us, the audience. When Citizen and Hadley mention that the ancient ones want to see Jules's breasts, it's us he's talking about. We've seen enough horror movies to know that the couple having sex in the woods, the woman's going to show her breasts. They titillate us, excuse the pun, to the point where it's expected. We are the ancient ones. We caused all this. We demand the sacrifice of these kids. And when it doesn't happen to our satisfaction, we rise up, probably on social media, and we stomp and grump and destroy everything. Or create a petition saying it should be remade. Sorry, is that too topical, Game of Thrones haters? And that's why this movie is so goddamn fun, brilliant and interesting, and nothing like any horror movie you'll ever see, except when it's successfully satirising those movies. So... I wanted to share some social media thoughts about The Cabin in the Woods because it was so seriously popular in the poll. And I'll mention those shortly. But first, when I mentioned I was doing Cabin in the Woods, Harry from Show Me the Podcast really wanted to be involved. So she sent me a little piece on the movie and why she, a fellow horror movie non-fan, loved it so much. So here's Harry and her thoughts. Hi, um, Harry here. One half of Show Me the Podcast. available on most podcasting platforms and I'm here to give you uh, my view on Cabin in the Woods. Thanks for inviting me to do this by the way. Um, I did stick my oar in on your poll uh, when you were putting up your next episode choices between Cabin in the Woods and Daybreakers and yeah uh, I think that's why I got this gig so thanks very much. Um, 
I'm not going to lie, I've only seen this movie once, but but it's one of those movies that stuck with me and that I thoroughly enjoyed at the time of watching. If you listen to our podcast, Show Me The Podcast, um, you'll have heard me saying that horror isn't really my bag. Um, so when this movie first came out, I wasn't massively interested in watching it. And um, then I started to hear things like, it's not what you expect and... Um, I am one of those people that has an appreciation for uh, a good twist uh, or, you know, a well-crafted sort of movie, Um, especially when that comes to horror. That's when, you know, I actually start to like horror. Um, So, you know, I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. I gulped and I pressed play. And then, yeah, so I've already said I really enjoyed it. Um, And I think that happened within the first few moments of watching this. You know, you get the white-collar workers of Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. And, come on, to these guys, you know it's going to be good and weird. And with what happens in those first few scenes, you know it's uh, not what you thought it was going to be. Um, and those guys rarely do anything bad, um, especially Whitford, uh, who I loved in The West Wing. And um, since Cabin in the Woods, I've loved him, loved him in movie. I've loved him in movies like, you know, Get Out and such. Um, and this lovely little film called Bottle Shock, which I highly recommend. Anyway, um, I'd heard that Wedden was part of the creative team for this. And so that also sparked my interest in watching this. I'm a fan of what he's done with the horror genre before. You know, well, if you'd have listened to our vampire episode, you know that I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I freaking love it. And I love what he did with the horror genre there because it is a horror essentially isn't it you know he subverts the elements of you know the ditzy blonde girl who you know would likely get killed but she's badass Buffy is badass um and I love him for that so yeah moving on throughout the whole movie you could feel Joss Whedon's Whedon Whedon I don't know how to pronounce it really uh contributions to the playful script and narrative and how he with Drew Goddard toyed with the typical horror tropes of yesteryear you know you've got the virginal survivor the dumb jock who gets it Chris Hemsworth and he turned them around to play with our the viewers you know expectations of the genre of the horror genre which I like and yeah in previous episodes on our show again we've discussed uh, slasher flicks such as Scream and how they're these kind of movies a part of a culture that kind of then sort of veered into torture porn flicks and I really like how Cabin in the Woods kind of takes the piss out of this and takes the movie to another place almost a more traditional uh, place of you know gods and monsters I also kind of like its take on the obsessive viewing culture we've got you know we're currently living in with this weird reality tv obsession that's been popular in recent years so, you know, we've got Whitford and Jenkins viewing these kids and watching the game play out, taking bets on what they'll choose, etc. Sound familiar? Yeah. And I have to say, I wasn't so sure about the ending with the world getting destroyed and all. Um, but then I guess it has a shock factor. And also, how else could it slash should it have ended? Em, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on this. Back to you. So... Thank you so much for that, Harry. And obviously, I'd highly recommend Show Me the Podcast, not only because I've been on it, but Lorraine and Harry are fun, engaging, and also totally British. And I'm always going to support my fellow British podcasters. So please check them out. I'll put some links to their podcasts in the show notes. 
I had loads of comments on social media about the cabin in the woods, pretty much all of them positive. Thanks to everyone who commented, and as always, I'll mention you all in the show notes, but here is everyone. So the guys over at Sorry You're In My Seat podcast said, I love this movie, so much fun. Cabin in the Woods was just fun and chaotic. I think I watched it three times the week it came out. Uh, the Bingeables podcast said, As someone who isn't a horror fan, The Cabin in the Woods was very enjoyable. It wasn't really scary to me. I liked the suspense and how the twist the film took towards the end. I may need to rewatch it again. Yes, you should definitely rewatch it again. Uh, Wulong Talks said, It's a genuine cult classic, plays around with the genre tropes and expectations in just the right way, and is a whole heap of fun to watch. Black Girls Do Stuff 2 podcast said, I have a contentious relationship with this movie. I am actually a huge horror fan, like it's my favourite kind of movie to watch. This movie I love because it pokes fun at the genre while being really good itself. Until the end, it's like they ran out of budget, lol. (laughs) So more comments from Twitter at Steph X McKenna. I love this film. At Gidget Von LaRue, it was okay, better on second viewing. At Blind Lumination, said, as creepy as hell, but it had a good balance of comedy, refreshing take on things too. At Timeshifters Pod, said, I went into this film in completely the wrong mindset. I thought it was going to be a straight up horror. For some reason, it took me forever to realise I wasn't watching a bad horror film. By the time it dawned on me this was spoofing the genre, it was too late. I blame jet lag and a day living off coffee and coffee house sandwiches. Looking back, I think it's a pretty clever and worth rewatching with the foreknowledge firmly in place. Something I have yet to do, but will someday. So, I don't know. Maybe then the guys who haven't seen it, maybe they will appreciate knowing some stuff in advance. I'm not sure. At Pub Dread said, We love this movie. It was a fun movie and it was made even better by the fact they made the outright reference to how many horror movies systematically categorise young teens and adults into one of the many high school cliques, like the ones you made reference to. Cat even used its ending clip of the explaining each category of sacrifice in a presentation for a sociology class in college to highlight the gender classification of women as the weaker sex in modern culture. That's really interesting. At One Star Bazaar said, Love, 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 Cabin in the Woods. And finally, at Tom the Toast said, Fricking love, Cabin in the Woods. But he didn't say fricking. And this concludes my episode on The Cabin in the Woods. I hope you enjoyed my take on the movie. I'd love to hear your theories on the ending and the multitude of deconstructed tropes. There's probably so much more to talk about, including plot holes, etc. But sometimes you just have to enjoy the movie for what it is. And The Cabin in the Woods is fun, scary and brilliant. So to Neil and Graham from At The Flicks and Andy from Geek Salad... If you're still listening, I hope you go off and watch and most importantly, enjoy The Cabin in the Woods. And I'd love to hear from you guys, especially. I'd love to know what you think, sort of post the podcast, uh, whether you yourself as first time viewers have any theories. Um, Yeah, let me know. But as always, thank you for listening. I just love to hear your general thoughts on The Cabin in the Woods. My next episode will be out in two weeks. And my special guest will be Kristen from So I'm Watching This Show. And together we will be looking at the classic 90s action movie, Speed. Oh my God, I'm so excited to talk to Kristen about Speed. Hopefully, together, we can keep this podcast above 50. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow and Pleasantville. 
and they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Verbal Diorama. You can email me general hellos, feedback or suggestions, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. If you like what I do and you want to give me a great review, you can do so on iTunes and I'd really appreciate that. Or if you want to buy me a coffee, which honestly I pretty much run on, you can do so at ko-fi.com slash verbal diorama. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. And don't stay in a secluded cabin in the middle of nowhere, even if your friend's fictional cousin apparently owns it. Take care, guys. Bye.